Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hidden Gems Movie Podcast. My name is Sam. I am with my friend, podcasting partner, co-worker, and sometimes political enemy, sometimes political patriot or compatriot? Is it compatriot or co-patriot? I think it's co-patriot. What is a compatriot? I don't think I say anything. I've never heard that before. I think I just I made think that you, wash, you should wash your mouth out with... with, with yeah, something. right. All right, that, that immediately gets us an explicit tag on the <laughs> podcast. All right, so we are back for another episode of the Hidden Gems Movie Podcast. And uh, so for this for this one, we decided, you know... Well, in case you haven't realized, it's the year 2020. And uh, how many movies came out in theaters this year? Like four or five? That's it, right? <laughs> before COVID, like, yeah. Yeah, not a lot. So we decided to do the Hidden Gems of the year 2020... And what are hidden gems of the year 2020? Well, any movie except for Tenet. Like that's that that we decided was our criteria that any single movie in the year 2020 could be a hidden gem except for Tenet. Because uh, I think Tenet, even though it was a box office bomb, I think it's universally uh, despised. Right? Does anyone like Tenet except for maybe you? Oh, I I wasn't crazy about uh, Tenet either. I do admire the you know the attempt to get it back into theaters. You yeah. know, when in South Pole and penguins all they get they get to in a whole group yeah. right at the edge of the water and they're afraid that seals might be swimming around, so they push one of them into oh the water. <laughs> you know, to see if the water is safe. Oh my god! Tenant is that penguin <laughs> to oh see if it was god. safe, Boy, and I'm... it turns out there was a seal and it ate pen, a tenant up. Who knew those seals, seal that or that penguin society was such a brutal, like sort of capitalistic society? They seem so charming, don't they? How do yeah, they choose? Well. I wonder which penguin, how, like how they choose the penguin that they push in. I think they just gather to the water. They, they you, all know it has to be done, and they just keep pushing and pushing until someone. Do you falls think that in. penguins are just dumb enough that they never realize they should never be at the front of the pack? <laughs> <laughs> like they just, it just their memory lifespan is not long enough to realize they should never be at the front. They're See, just it is self-sacrificial. They're just running. Yeah. Off too much instinct <laughs> anyways yeah so movies for 2020 they're pretty much all hidden gems and i think if anything if we think about the the movies that were like major successes in the year 2020 it wasn't movies at all it was netflix tv shows and i think it has to be most specifically tiger king and queen's gambit um tiger and they aren't really move they aren't even really movies. that's the they're point that's serious, the point yeah. netflix because we're all at home now, and maybe we're spending even more time on social media than we ever have before, I think the way that things are becoming hits is through digital word of mouth. And I think that's why Tiger King and Queen's Gambit are essentially the blockbuster successes of the year 2020, and it certainly wasn't any movies. And it continues a trend that if you remove the Marvel movies out of the cinematic equation— that TV is now becoming the land where millions and millions and millions of people watch something more than they do movies. Uh, and Game of Thrones was an obvious example of this. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of a disturbing trend. Uh, I guess the series are becoming more cinematic. Like, yeah. uh, uh, is it Bridgerton? Bridgerton? I haven't Bridgerton? Heard, I've heard of this. I don't even know what it is. Uh, it's a, it's a god awful attempt to put uh, 21st century sensibilities into like an English costume drama. Yeah, uh, Shonda Rhimes does it and brings all that terrible plotting. Oh, and Shonda writing. Rhimes. Sh- Sh- Shonda Rhimes, and she brings so all that is, terrible plotting from Grey's Anatomy. This is her Barry this. Lyndon. 
Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we're, no, we're, you, you can't even say we that. Hate you can't it. say we that. We hate man. it now, but then some <laughs> asshole will claim it's actually their favorite Kubrick movie years uh. from now. <laughs> I, I don't hate Barry Lyndon. I love at Barry least, Lyndon. At least the way it looks. But I'll never say it's my favorite Kubrick movie. Nah. So let's let's start with the first uh, the first movie from uh, from the year 2020 that we're going to talk about. This was actually Steve's pick, and when I told my good friend Pete what your pick was, what he said to me was. Uh, God, Steve has weird taste. And what I think he meant to say by that was your taste goes all over the place. If anything, I think it's well-rounded. You, I think your taste is broader than mine is. I think that I like emotional, heartwarming dramas. And you, you're kind of all over the place. I like any genre if it's good. You know, yeah, I, I, agree. I like I like women's pictures if they're good. Because I've seen really good women's pictures. There's only one... Um, genre of any art that i don't like and that's punk music i think all punk music is garbage <laughs> including the punk music that people say is good it's just garbage um, it's untalented people making bad music all right so that that aside your pick this year was the guy Ritchie film the gentleman there once was a young and foolish dragon who came to ask a wise and cunning lion about acquiring his territory and the lion tells the little dragon to Oh, goody. He started a war. You're forgetting the laws of the jungle. The young succeed the old. It's really warming up now. There's only one rule in this jungle. When the lion's hungry, he eats. The Gentleman. Rated R. So should I do the summary of The Gentleman first, or do you want to do the facts? Let me do, let me do the stat sheet here right. on this one. The Gentleman... It was released, or dumped, if you will, on January 24th, 2020. Now, when a movie, when they release a movie in yeah. January, yeah. to me, it means that the studio doesn't have a lot of faith in it. They dumped a uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, movie, I think the year before. Yeah. What was it called? Solitary? It was with Anne, Anne uh, Hathaway. Oh, no. And it, it was, was like called Serenity. Serenity. Which is weird because there's another good movie called Serenity. Which but, is based on a TV series, yeah, but, which is really cool. Yeah. Yes. And and obviously didn't have faith in and that also, movie. And also, it's like one of the worst rated movies of all time, by the way. This new Serenity movie with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. It was I mean, awful. I would never bring myself to And not an enjoyable awful either. No, I've it never was heard. just yeah. a toothache. Yeah. Well, well, this movie, um, released in January, uh, 20, uh, January 24th, 2020, Dead of Winter. It runs an hour and 53 minutes, rated R, and for really good reasons. It's yeah. written and directed by Guy Ritchie, with a story credit for Ritchie, uh, Ivan Atkinson, and uh, Marn Davies. It cost $22 million and grossed $36 million in the United States and $115 million abroad. I don't know how much of that was in Great Britain, but I'm, I'm guessing quite a bit. Or, you know, in the... Yeah. Um, you know, uh, maybe Scotland, yeah, it was Ireland, a, It was a success like in the United Kingdom. Yeah. So, uh, by any, by any mm -hmm. measure, internationally, it was a hit. But I don't think it did that well in the United States. $36 million for, you know, a medium-budget movie... It's not, it's not that great. No one's talking about it either. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I think they should, because it's my favorite Guy Ritchie movie. And I was not a huge Guy Ritchie uh, fan. I did kind of like Rock and Roller, though. I kind of like Rock and Roller, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Interesting. pretty good. He, he, he got more, I think he, I think he brought more depth to each of his gangster Which was also movies. following the worst-reviewed movie of his career, if you take uh, that one with Madonna out of the picture, which was Revolver. 
he made that movie Revolver following his Lock, Stock, and Snatch movies, mm-hmm. which was the worst reviewed movie of his career. And then people said he kind of bounced back with Rock and Rolla, which is an interesting movie. Well, I think he builds on Rock and Rolla here, and, and I think this is this is a lot more a far more enjoyable movie. Okay, so anyone listening to this podcast, uh, I think will realize that my movie summaries are getting. Um, Worse and worse or better and better, depending on how you want to look at it, which is I'm just becoming less interested in summarizing these movies because it's a huge pain in the ass. And a movie like this, like trying to summarize a Guy Ritchie movie is like trying to summarize a Kafka play. It's just, you know, it's, it's just a failed enterprise from the start. You know, it's like trying to open up a hot dog and seafood restaurant, um, like in Montana. Uh, actually, maybe Montana sounds like has, a good idea. Damn maybe it. Montana has good seafood, actually. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought of them. I mean, they, may, they maybe has like salmon in Montana. You know, uh, freshwater salmon. <laughs> Anyways, but I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to try and do it in under a minute, just like the rest of them. And I'm going to buy a timer one of these days so that you can hear if I fail. <laughs> We're clocking you right, now. Starting now. Um, Matthew McConaughey is an American expatriate living in England who is the head of a huge, successful, wide-scale marijuana criminal enterprise. He grows marijuana and sells it, but he is trying to get out of the business, and he is trying to sell his business to a billionaire businessman, um, played by the actor from Succession, Jeremy Strong, and of course, trying to sell his business, things start to go wrong, Uh, you know, various criminal factions start to cut in on his business or go after him, and he's got to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, the entire movie is structured around his uh, second-in-command, who is the actor from those weird movies by uh, Guillermo del Toro about those giant robots who fight lizards or something. Do you know what I'm talking Charlie about? Charlie Hoonan. Oh, yeah. Charlie the, the, Hoonan. Uh, Pacific, uh, Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. Right. So oh, this movie's like structured movies. around Charlie Hoonan in what is absolutely his best performance to date. He's excellent in the movie. I think he, I think he's the best person in the movie. Uh, having a conversation, technically being blackmailed by an undercover investigator played... I'm investigative sorry, reporter. An investigative reporter played... I'm going to use the synonym, even though it's cheesy, deliciously <laughs> by Hugh Grant... Um, who is blackmailing Charlie Hunan because he has figured out their entire criminal underworld enterprise and he has various information that he is blackmailing them about and he's sort of narrating the entire movie saying, here's what I have figured out. That is my explanation. Steve, this is your pick. Um, (laughs) Why don't you tell me why you picked the movie, why you like the movie? I picked this movie because I haven't seen very many movies I liked in 2020. Fair, <laughs> fair. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've watched a few, and nothing, nothing has been terribly impressive. I, I watched um, the 40 year old version, version or v- virgin, a version. Um, it's it's about a 40 year old uh, African American woman okay. in New York who's struggling to get the kind of place she wants. Yeah, and even though the main character is really appealing, and and there's a couple of you know, yeah. fascinating scenes. It's, it's kind of kind of mediocre. Yeah, it's it's uh, unfortunately uh, that was the closest thing I thought, yeah. and and I couldn't go with that because I thought the gentleman just had so much energy. I enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I, I enjoyed really this, did. I enjoyed this movie too. I enjoyed this movie more than any Guy Ritchie movie. I've never been a Guy Ritchie fan. In fact, if you remember the last episode, I told you I can remember every single movie where I saw it and like. What it you know what happened where I was how old I was. I don't know about how old I was but I can tell you exactly mm-hmm. where I was 
Well, when I saw Snatch in theaters, I remember I fell asleep during the movie. <laughs> and then when I woke up, I had no voice. My voice was gone, very oddly. And then I went to a friend's house and watched the debut of the XFL. So it was really just a <laughs> wow. night a night of catastrophe <laughs> all around. Um, well, you'll probably remember this one, too, because it's it's so entertaining. It's, it's, it's his most clever screenplay. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very important... Uh, to use a, a very, uh, you know, a, a very Hollywood type of thing, using tricks to, to make us think that certain allegiances exist, yeah. to make us think, um, you know, that the movie's heading in one way uh, when it's going another. In fact, it starts with a very misleading image yeah. that you think is going to set this movie on, on a certain path, and w- when you get there, you're kind of, I, I think, uh, you're kind of relieved that it didn't go that way. So uh, this movie is very clever in its twists and turns. Mm-hmm. I, I just love this. But that's not the only reason. The acting is phenomenal. Right. The absolutely. acting, uh, I, I, there, there's not a bad performance in, in the lot. So what I wanted to say was, the thing about Guy Ritchie, which I especially noticed in this movie, is if you watch Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and then Snatch, what it feels like is kind of like Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2, which is a, which is a director making an acclaimed indie movie that feels indie it feels ragtag supercharged with creative energy right but not polished and then they get a huge amount of money and they decide to sort of remake that movie with the budget they have but in the same style as the original so as a result snatch is also a supercharged hyper edited hyper fast movie that just seems like the hollywood version of lock stock and two smoking barrels This movie, while very similar to those movies, I think all Guy Ritchie movies, for the most part, have a very similar energy, is the most polished. And even though though it's still a very fast movie, he slows it down. It is now, he's making his style at the slowest pace he's ever made it, which is still super fast, you know, compared to most movies, but for him it's the slowest and the most controlled and the most deliberate. It doesn't feel like he's just throwing out every single possible idea he's ever had into one movie. It's a more disciplined movie, you know. It is a more disciplined movie. He was trying movie. to surprise us with the brutality mm-hmm. and even the, the guilty the, the guilty entertainment we get from brutality. Yeah. Here, he's trying mm-hmm. to do it through storytelling mm-hmm. and he acknowledges this right from the beginning yeah. because the whole movie is basically, it's narrated for for the benefit of the Charlie Hoonan character. Yeah. By the uh, uh, Hugh Grant character. Hugh Grant plays an absolutely sleazy, well, well we, talk, we talked about it, detective slash uh, re- reporter. And he does it with so much joy. Yeah. You know, he is, he is so satisfied with himself. You know, it, it, it's, it's terrific watching how profane and lewd his storytelling gets, you know. Absolutely. He, he absolutely delights in it. And we get the same kind of delight listening to the story. And I think it's very clever the way they do that. It's, you know, by using this... Uh, uh, basically, you get away with the this, this screenwriting sin of using narration with, uh, you know, with, with Hugh Grant having a blast being sleazy. Right. And this is something I want to talk about. The reason Guy Ritchie... All right, he, here's a really interesting thing. Guy Ritchie's a hell of a writer. He's a better writer than he is a director, and he's a damn good director. Um... 
And the reason he is always able to get stars in his movies, which are sure to be mediocrely reviewed movies, (laughs) none of these movies is ever going to be well-reviewed, is because you know these actors are having a blast. They are reading the script and saying, give me that role because this is going to be fucking fun. (laughs) Um, I do not blame them one bit. I do not blame all of England's finest Royal Academy acting talents for doing his movies because he writes fun roles. These aren't these are not emotionally challenging roles. These are roles that you are going to have so much fun with. And they don't always require scene chewing either, yelling and screaming. Charlie Hoonan, he, he he's uh, wonderful in it. I'm not, uh, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last Who name cares? right. He is so um, you know, uh, restrained. We'll talk about Hoonan for a second. I mean, what Hoonan plays you, basically think, yeah, hold on, we're, Tell us who he plays, but also tell us how you think he compares to the other actors in the film. I'm curious in in where you rank him in this movie. He's almost completely different yeah. from every other actor. Yeah. He's taking his lead from Matthew McConaughey, who always also underplays somewhat. Yeah. But there's this, this boiling kettle underneath uh, McCarth- uh, uh, McConaughey, McConaughey that you never quite see. Good. With He's quite Hoonan. good. Yes. There's a few lines of yeah. dialogue that I, he's not uh, great. Leech, leeches into, I mean, lurches into the um, overwritten kind of over eloquent that, yeah. that he doesn't smooth out entirely. Yeah, but the whole he he starts comparing himself as the king of the jungle, meaning he is the top dog of the marijuana business in in McConaughey. England. McConaughey, yeah, uh, and even being ruthless and even being a killer when he has to be, although he doesn't. Want to? He wants to avoid it at all costs. But he is. He's you a believe killer. him. You yeah. absolutely believe him. You. He has a way of deadening his eyes in this movie, and it explodes at times. And he explodes. Yeah. When you draw the line. Yeah. And he makes that clear at the end. There's a difference. But this, we're getting away from Hunan. Who does Hunan, Hunan play? Hunan plays um a, uh, this guy named Ray. Mm-hmm. Now he is the consigliere. He's the Robert Duvall right. to uh, Matthew McConaughey's uh, uh, Vito Corleone. That's right. Okay. He's the incredibly smart guy. The guy who calls all the right moves. He is his right hand man. If if he if if McConaughey, who's by the way, his name is Mickey Pearson. Yep. If Mickey needs dirty work done, he usually sends his big thugs. But if he really needs to do something, if he needs to chop off a horse and put yeah. it in the in the bed of a movie. TV's studio yeah. head, he's going to call uh, Ray, and in fact, he has to. And What's, Ray is what, Ray has o, has yeah, a problem. Yeah. He has OCD. Yeah. He's having <laughs> a guy with OCD do dirty work. And the thing is, he's still. It, it takes a while to, to really comprehend this because yeah. he's not overplaying it. Yeah. You know, you realize that his what what looked like fastidiousness is yeah. actually like an obsessively his house is obsessively neat he is impeccably ta- uh, tailored yeah. you know he, every every um you know uh, uh, strand of hair is in place so he doesn't want to do some of the dirty work that Mickey asked him to do but he does it anyway out of pure loyalty what do you think about the performance i it's it's subtle I think it's, it's good. subtle, I think and it's it takes really you good. a while to see how threatening he can be, and That's how right. dangerous, and how much um, the uh, the Hugh, Hugh uh, Grant character has underestimated him. Yeah. So what's kind of interesting in this movie is that Charlie Hunan and Matthew McConaughey are actually playing almost the exact same character, which is this: men from the lower classes in their respective societies. Uh, McConaughey from England. I'm sorry, McConaughey from America, from like rural Texas or something. And Hunan, from what appears to be the lower classes of England, those you know those sort of tenement, tenement you know apartment buildings, those whatever the, whatever those projects of England are called, who are both presenting themselves as upper gentry, 
And when they talk, it's extremely deliberate. You know, they're trying to come off cultured, cultivated, classy, measured. But lurking underneath is intense rage and violence. They're both excellent at doing the intense rage and violence. But Hunan is much better than McConaughey at doing the uh, the cultured, genteel part. Um, if anything, McConaughey's, the weakness in his performance is him trying to appeal to the upper gentry. Now, you can say his failure in his performance also reflects his character, which is that he keeps saying he wants to get gentrified, which means he wants to, as many, you know, I, this is not the first movie to present us a criminal that wants to enter into the upper echelons of society, but I still think there's a flaw in McConaughey's performance when he does it. It, it doesn't come off right to me when he's trying to be calm and measured and talking like this and very formal. I, I just don't buy it. It's funny, too, because you could argue that it's not the actor failing to convey it, it's the character being, um, you know, overly articulate. Yeah, it just doesn't uh, A little too, too too much. It doesn't have the authenticity that Charlie Hoonan right. uh, character has. And when he gets angry, he has to go to, uh, one of the dirty uh, tasks he has is retrieving a, um, a drugged out uh, pop singer from a very old family. Like an one of these families that, family. that yeah. Mickey has, has, has befriended. And uh, he gets ferocious. He's he, he's ferocious just for being in this filthy apartment. He can't yeah. stand the idea, yeah. which makes the all the violence seem hilarious. Yeah, uh, he he plays it really well. It's very believable. Later, he has to run down some kids who've taken photos of the results uh, yeah. of of this this uh, this task, and he does a, a terrific job there. He doesn't want to threaten, but when he has to, he threatens. And the movie is, um, it's populated with some great actors, especially some who used to be or are A-list stars, specifically Hugh Grant, and another, which is Colin Farrell, doing these really sort of awesome, hilarious, showy roles. Colin Farrell plays a boxing gym coach of sort of adult grown man boys at his gym and part of what sets the events in motion in this movie is Colin Farrell's uh boys he calls them although they're really men uh they find one of Mickey Pearson's marijuana drug stash hideouts and they rob it and they actually in a hilarious sequence they deliberately film their crime they wear what are essentially GoPro headsets on their heads and because they're such expert fighters, because they've been trained by uh, Colin Farrell, they take out Mickey Pearson's guards quite easily, and then they edit the video to like put some <laughs> music behind it called Fight Porn, and then they put it online showing that they've robbed Mickey Pearson, and when Colin Farrell finds out about this, he's incredibly dismayed, because he w- all he wants to do is keep these kids out of trouble, so he presents himself to the consigliere, uh, Charlie Hunan. What's Charlie's character's name again? Uh, uh, Ray. He presents himself to Ray, to say, look, my boys did this. They are good boys. They're not he, good. He's calling them good boys. They're yeah. not good boys. They are not good boys. But he keeps saying they are, and then he offers his services. Now, Colin Farrell, I want to talk about a little bit. A, he's fantastic in this movie. It's a great role. You better turn on the closed caption, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Colin Farrell's an interesting actor, and I, 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 I love to get on a side tangent about him because for a brief period, he looked like he was going to be a leading man in America. And when he first came to my attention, I think was in a very underrated movie, um, 
called what was the Tom Cruise Steven Spielberg movie about catching crimes in advance? Minority Report. Minority Report, yeah. which is actually a good movie. Um, and Carl Fowles in that movie, and I said to myself, okay, that guy's got something. I feel like he's not just a pretty face. And then he did a bunch of pretty bad movies where he was just a pretty face, and then something happened, and he and he com- and he was also a headline, you know, like he was constantly in the news and the media for partying too hard. And then he completely kind of left Hollywood and he started making really acclaimed indie movies, starting with In Bruges, then he did Seven Psychopaths, and then he started working with that Greek director who made The Lobster with him, as well as Killing of a Sacred Deer, which are both excellent movies. And he started taking on these smaller indie roles that are really quite good and showcase a very sensitive actor. I mean, if, if I could choose one adjective to describe um, Colin Farrell, sensitive and I even picked that up when I saw Minority Report. I kind of thought he was a sensitive actor who occasionally will make a terrible American action movie that is quite obvious he is doing strictly for the money so that he can continue to make these really good indie movies, which I actually highly respect. I highly respect that he's not pretending like the uh, that these uh, big box office action movies he's making are any good. And he's sort of admitted it in the past, which is not necessarily... Uh, tactful or even appreciative of people paying you a lot of money um but he's great in this movie uh and one funny thing is he keeps referring to his boys as good boys and what you what you get to realize kind of by the end of the movie is that while he has honor and his boys have honor and he keeps calling his good his boys good boys and i think he likes to think of himself as a good man he also is not a good man he is (laughs) just as capable of the despicable crimes and wickedness of his boxing students you know he's 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 the exact same thing as them he's not a they're not good boys and he's not a good man well in the morality in the morality of this small little universe yeah, they are he is by far the the most honorable uh, the most decent I should not not the most honorable but the most decent guy yeah that's right um, he has a code yes he does yeah and and, and he lives by it he he disables these four young kids at, at a what it looks like a like a McDonald's over in England yeah and uh, he's so disdainful of these four kids and yet he says you know uh, come by come uh, come by the gym we'll see what we can do for you yeah, so you know basically these, these kids they want to beat yeah, him up these four <laughs> young teenagers try to hilarious. attack him in a McDonald's and he just kicks their asses he makes quick work of yeah. them and, and then uh, after he kicks their asses he says come by the gym we'll see what we can do with you <laughs> you know he's, he's instantly forgiving because he probably was one of those kids and somebody probably did that for him it's a very rich character yeah. I think one of the best characters ever in a Guy Ritchie movie and you know I gotta say Guy Ritchie is a talented writer a talented director why he only knows how to do one style even if he's making Sherlock Holmes I don't know why you know the Guy Ritchie style I mean I'll give him credit he created a style and if he didn't create it it is certainly um, it's his face on it now that quick fast paced editing fast camera work that is if you see another movie doing that you just say to yourself oh they're doing it like the Guy Ritchie movie and he kind of exists in this netherworld where you know when he's at his worst you might still have fun and when he's at his best, you're going to have a lot of fun. But even at his best, he's never going to be critically acclaimed. Yeah, uh, but pe- but audiences are going to like him. You know, when, when and he you, makes when, money. When he I turn on money. my cable and and it has two listings for uh, critical acclaim, yeah. audience rating, and the uh, critics rating. The critics are always going to be high. The audience ratings, are, uh, the audience ratings, are always going to be high. Critic ratings are going to be a little disdainful. But this movie. It's a lot of fun, yeah, and it's it's clever, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not extremely the most, clever, yeah. It's it's not the most brilliant piece of work, but yeah. it is very clever. 
Now we have to talk about the weak link of the movie, which is the antagonist played by Jeremy Strong. Um, he plays a Jewish billionaire. And the reason I said Jewish is this is important. Um, he plays a Jewish billionaire who is trying to buy uh, Mickey Pearson's marijuana business and at the same time is actually supplying information to other gangs to attack Mickey Pearson's marijuana business so that it will drive that the asking price down so that when he actually buys the business, he can get it for cheap because the business will have been in disarray. This is a terrible performance, and it is not the first terrible performance from Jeremy Strong. Um, the last terrible performance I saw from him was in also a terrible movie, uh, which is The Trial of the Chicago 7, have you seen no. it? No, no. I, I, I would not expect you to watch that movie. No, no I, I saw him in another um, uh, Aaron Aaron uh, Sorkin? Sorkin movie. What was that? Uh, the one with Je- Jessica Chastain, where she plays that uh, that gambling queen. Uh, he plays he is, his and he, his, and you know he's bad in it. He's bad in that movie too. No, I, I kind of I disagree with you on both instances. I thought he was pretty uh, legitimate sleazeball in in the in uh, Jessica Chastain movie. What, what was Molly's that movie? Game. Molly's Game. I actually game. read that book. It's oh. not it's not very good. The movie is the movie. I imagine the book. It seems very self-serving. Yeah, absolutely. You know? uh, so uh, it's it's already starts several points down. I think that uh, he's okay in this movie, but the problem, and this this gets to my question. Yeah, this gets to uh, my my question, which we're about to enter anyway, and that is: Is this movie anti-Semitic? And I think yes. that is a fair question. Yes. Okay. So. Let me, sorry to go on another tangent here, but I have to. We have to talk about this. Steve and I have had this conversation before. I am not trying to offend anyone listening to this podcast. I'm really not. I am Jewish. I am not, I've never felt particularly very Jewish. I am not a religiously devout person. In fact, I'm an atheist. I don't mind telling anyone that. I have grown up my life, you know, occasionally attending synagogue, you know, celebrating the high holidays like, uh, like Passover, but I was not raised in a heavily Jewish household. In fact, my mother is not Jewish, but I was raised as a Jew, more culturally. So my mother's Armenian, my dad is Jewish. I kind of consider myself more Jewish than Armenian because I was raised doing more Jewish cultural things. That being said, the reason I want to insult anyone, and if anyone can find a better term from what I'm about to describe, please comment in our iTunes section and tell me your idea. I call it Jew face. When non-Jewish actors, Gentiles, play Jews, and they all do the exact same thing, which is a bad Woody Allen impression, which is why I hate Woody Allen, because Woody (laughs) Allen created a stereotype for which all people would think of Jews for decades later. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that Woody Allen's actually a good director. Forget his potential crimes or not crimes. I'm not here to talk about that. It's just the image that he presented of Jewish people has been so influential and people don't understand. Um... So he's doing a Jew face impression mixed with a a homosexual impression. They're both bad impressions. He's playing it Jewish and gay and neither to good effect. Um, And it's just terrible. And I don't know why we would never accept and nor should we accept a white person pretending to be a black man. I mean, it would be crazy if we did that unless it was sort of, you know, I, I don't think tr- they would be able to do Tropic Thunder now, but at the same time, when they did Tropic Thunder, I think enough people understood that he was an out-of-control actor, right? It was the idea that what the actor was doing Yeah, was, Robert Downey Jr. wasn't playing a black guy. He, he was playing, playing a white a guy, white guy yeah. who thinks he can play a black right. guy. Which, by the way, I still don't think they could get away with now. But nonetheless... More's um, a pity. Uh, what's that movie? Um, not movie. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. You and I have mm-hmm. talked about this before. Yeah. Is just non-Jews 
playing really bad impressions of Jewish stereotypes. And it is the same thing here. Look, I think non-gay people should be able to play gay people. I think Jews should be able to play Christians. I think Christians should be able to play Jews. I have no problem with it. But if you are going to just make a performance entirely based off of anti-Semitic stereotypes, then I do have a problem with it. Like, I don't have a problem of anyone doing that for any race or gender. It's just, it was such a bad performance. It was horrible. He honestly, he should be ashamed and embarrassed, not only that he did it, but of how poorly he did it. Um, <laughs> Let me ask something. Before uh, before you saw this movie, yeah, I did, did not you know read. that Jeremy Strong was was not no, Jewish? No, I looked it up afterwards because watching the performance, I said to myself— How would you have felt if he had been Jewish? I don't think it would have ever—if he had been Jewish, he would not have played it that way. But—, but um, being that he is, I would have said, how could he do that? Why would he do that? You know what I mean? I would have said, I would have been more disappointed than angry. I would have mm-hmm. said, oh, come on, man. You're selling us down the river here. Um, maybe a ba- maybe that's a bad turn of phrase considering what that actually means. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I would have said, hey, man, don't perpetuate don't perpetuate stereotypes about yourself but i knew i didn't know i didn't know whether or not he was jewish but i suspected it based on the performance i suspected he was not jewish and then i went on his wikipedia made sure yeah i was like yeah this guy's not jewish that being said watching the movie i was like all right this guy's not jewish here's the other problem with this movie steve i am probably more sensitive to this stuff than you but but not as sensitive as most liberal movie watchers um watch this movie i kept saying to myself you know i like the hugh grant character I like the Chinese gang characters, but I kept saying to myself, every villain in this movie is somebody other than a white Christian man. And it's about a white Christian man hoarding off the, or fending off the hordes of the different minorities of the world trying to get after his treasure. And it, I really, I really, I've told you a million times I've said on this podcast, I do not like to read politics into movies. I don't like doing it. I think it it's just not who I am. I, I try to not be judgmental, but I kept saying to myself, ah, this is not sitting right with me, even though I'm enjoying it, and I think it is his best movie. I could see people getting upset at this, and then when I read about the movie after I saw it, of course they did. The movie has been accused of being homophobic, anti-Semitic, racist, because the Hugh Grant character is a sleazeball, but also gay, which is unnecessary. And it, they, if you're going to make a sleazeball character, do yourself a favor in the year 2020. Don't make him gay, because then people are going to accuse you of saying that gay people are sleazeballs because they're gay. It doesn't feel like he's a well-rounded homosexual character who's also a sleazeball. My advice is the exact opposite. Okay. My, my, my advice is to not patronize any minority group by suggesting that, they, that every one of them is, you know, uh, uh, innately uh, pure. nobler, smarter, yeah. purer than your average I agree uh, with you. I agree uh, with you, person. but the problem now, is they're what, what, not well-rounded. They're not well-rounded, and as a result, it feels like part of their despicableness is attributable to their race. That's part of the—see, there are many movies— where there are minorities who are the villains of the movie, but they are so well-rounded and they are so well-thought-out that it's not because they are a minority that is you know, the reason that they are a despicable character. This movie, unfortunately, because there are so many characters, none of the characters can be that well-rounded. So as a result, your hero is this tall, strapping, quite frankly, Hitler's ideal version of a man... <laughs> Uh, fighting for what he's got against all the people Hitler wanted to kill. It's just a bad look. Um, 
you know, uh, yeah, I totally, re- I totally respect your opinion. And, you know, listening to the, um, there, there's one point where uh, the Matthew McConaughey character, M- Mickey and uh, the, the uh, Jeremy Strong, Matthew, yeah. are referring to um, the lead character as a, a Chinaman. Yeah. And even that made me a little uncomfortable. But um, one, these are gangsters and nobody's idea of decent people. That's right. Okay, now. There is a protagonist and an antagonist, yeah. but they are not models for uh, polite uh, conversation or even decent, let's face it, decent conversation. Uh, I think your point about them being not well-rounded, that's good. Yeah, you don't get yeah. a backstory as to why yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this one character is so angry. Uh, I think he's called Dry Eye. Yeah. Um, why why he, he's so angry? They, by the way, dry, the, the Chinese and even Hugh Grant's character, I do not believe are homophobic or racist portrayals of those characters, even the way they're written. But the problem is because of the clearly anti-Semitic character, which I think is either anti-Semitic in the writing or the performance. I'm not sure. I think more the performance. I think Jeremy Strong actually um, bears the brunt of the blame here. Uh, But as a result of that clearly anti-Semitic character, it makes all the other portrayals look worse. And by the way, because you're going to write these many villains... The fact that all of them are going to be anything but white Christian males is a problem on the writer's part. He well, should I be mean, smarter. He should be smarter. Well, the, the white Christian male, uh, I, I don't know if that's fair to exclude Hugh Grant. Uh, I but don't think any of them gay, are Christians. But they're all gay. white. They're yeah. all, I guess what you meant is white straight. White straight Perhaps Christian. Christian. White, white straight Christian. Well, I, uh, I think I, I don't think Christian yeah. is here or there because I wouldn't bank on any, seeing any of them in church on Sunday. Yeah, right. Um, but but uh, Protestant or, yeah, or, or waspy yeah. or, or whatever. Uh, my I think the conception of the character, if you want to charge anti-Semitism, and, and it's it's a hard thing to do, and I don't want to say that Guy Ritchie is anti-Semitic. I don't think he is either. But I, I think he was insensitive, and yeah. this happens. I've seen so many movies where the um, character is Jewish. Mm-hmm. He is generally small in stature. Hyman Roth is uh, not an anti-Semitic character. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can yeah. do a Jewish villain, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it, it, it is permissible. Yeah, but but I have seen it in in several movies, uh, and and it does make me a, a little uncomfortable. It is absolutely clear yeah. here when when Mickey asks for yeah. a pound of flesh, yeah. which is you know yeah. from from uh, the Merchant of Venice, uh, you know, because because a, yeah. a Jewish guy is, is yeah. asked uh, for a pound of flesh. It did make me uncomfortable. It is, the and they num- really should rethink. Uh, it is the number one. Um, stereotyped role in Hollywood that nobody calls out for some reason. Yes. Now, maybe nobody calls it out because people think Jews run Hollywood, so this is just Jews <laughs> doing it to Jews. I don't know if that's actually true anymore. It was certainly true back in the 40s and 50s. If you look at the studio heads of Warner Brothers and the rest of them, they actually were all Jewish Eastern European immigrants, which is partly why... Uh, or their parents were, yeah. You know, yeah. Which is probably why the McCarthy witch trials were so effective Um in Hollywood at that time, because all these studio heads actually did not want people to know that they were being run by Jews. Well, I, 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 uh, for historical thing, I would have yeah. to correct you that these weren't McCarthy uh, hearings. You are. You've done uh, this before. You, I'm <laughs> so just sorry, using sorry. it as an, <laughs> okay. the, whatever you want to call it, the communist okay, witch hunts, whatever it was. Let me ask, let me ask you, there's, another, there's a terrific scene. Well, I don't know if it, some people might not think it's so terrific, where um, uh, the, uh, uh, the coach, yeah. who's played by Colin Farrell, yeah. He he launches into a little lecture of uh, uh, one of his black fighters. Yeah, because one of his white fighters it's calls a, him yeah. a well, guys. This, uh, this is a direct 
quote from quote. the movie. A uh, direct quote, and it's it's offensive. So yeah. he calls him, uh, why, why don't you come up here? Uh, you know, you, you should be fighting me, you black cunt. Yep. Now, when he says fighting me, he means he wants to get in the ring. He, he and wants spar. to. And, and these, all, yeah. these guys all do everything together. And they're friends. And they're friends. But he takes offense to that, right? Yeah. Uh, and the coach goes into this lecture saying that... Um, well, you are black and you are a cunt. And that is meant as a laugh. And we're meant to laugh. Right. Yep. And he says, and he makes a great point. Uh, the fighter says, yeah, but the fact that I'm black has nothing to do, uh, the fact that I'm a cunt has nothing to do with black. And we're supposed to be laughing mm-hmm. during this entire time. And then Colin Farrell, you know, explains to him, well, I don't think he made it racially derogatory. In fact, you could say that it was a term of affection. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I guess this is to, to uh, answer back to people when they criticize it. Now, whether you think that's an effective uh, answer back is kind of interesting. Because I I do think that the fighter does have a point. So the fighter is making a point and a valid one, but so is the boxing coach. And the reason I don't have a problem with this scene, and if anyone else does have a problem with this scene, that's fine. But the the reason I don't have a problem with this scene versus the other stereotypes portrayed in the movie is the scene's actually thoughtful. It's a thoughtful examination on whether or not if you have a, 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 a Jewish friend or a black friend. First of all, let me just say something. I am used to being the only Jewish kid in a group of non-Jews my entire life. And they often referred to me as their Jewish friend. Um, And they meant it in a derogatory as well as affectionate way. And it never actually bothered me, although it did remind me that I was different. So that's the thing. The reason I sympathize with the box, the black boxing uh, character's point of view is that while the other guy meant it affectionately, that's his black friend who he also thinks is a cunt. Um, <laughs> and he's saying, get in here, you black cunt. Is that being a guy whose friends often referred to him as the Jew, I knew they didn't mean it derogatorily, but at the same time, it was always a reminder that I was what they said I was, right? That's the thing I always said. That you don't get to decide if you're Jewish. Other people decide it for you. You know, when they tell you to get on the train— you can't say, well, I'm, I don't want to be Jewish anymore. Uh, so I, I get both points of view. And it's why I was never offended when people said it to me. But at the same time, it doesn't make it wholesale right. But the scene is that dialogue. That's the point about that scene. It's at least confronting the issue. Yeah, it's confronting it and it's nuanced and it's not taken aside. But there are other, I guess my issue is the Jeremy, there's only two racial problems i see with this movie one that he made all the villains of the movie different races other than white straight male and two uh even though white homosexual male is not a race but it's certainly not fitting within that narrow that narrow category and two the jeremy strong performance it is a shameful performance um i read that he is a method actor which i automatically hate already i hate method acting i think it's so pretentious but can you imagine method acting a bad jewish impersonation for however long he was on that set oh that must have been insufferable can you imagine him being like ah you doing i just i can't imagine the poor jewish pa on that set who had to listen to this pretentious method actor pretend to be jewish it must have been infuriating And uh, unfortunately, that might be what Guy Ritchie was was you know going for. Yeah. Look, a, a movie has to have a uh, you know a villain. Yeah. And if if you start having nothing but uh, you know white male Christian villains, yeah. which we are, I think we are kind of kind of moving towards that, 
then that that's patronizing. But you're right. I, I think you know you got to be a little sensitive too. And I like the right. way they they strike this balance. Yeah, acknowledging that racism is a flaw, just like yeah. you know any other uh, yeah. characteristic. Yeah, and that you can root for people absolutely who do not have the most advanced. Vito views. Corleone wanted drugs sold in the black neighborhoods. No, he agrees to it. The other character, mm. right? The other character. The, am I wrong? One of the mob bosses yeah. says, says and that. And then I think Corleone agrees to it. I, I think he finally con- uh, concedes. This um, is a good way, but I'm going to trick you guys to um, <laughs> comment in the iTunes section. But, you know, if, if we're wrong, if I got that wrong, please let us know in the yeah. iTunes section. And it's a good way to get comments to populate that mm. iTunes section. Yeah, I don't have a problem, actually, with the Matthew McConaughey character having some racial prejudice. Uh, I just have a problem with characters not being well-rounded and relying on racial stereotypes. And I think the only one that really is that way is Jeremy Strong. And I want to say it's first, it's a bad performance above all else. And because it's such a bad performance, the anti-Semitism comes out of that performance. I truly believe that at least 65% of the anti-Semitism in that role is that performance and not in the writing. I don't remember a single line that was anti-Semitic coming out of the character's mouth. I don't, I don't ever him ever remember him saying, "Oh boy, I can't wait to have all this Hanukkah gelt." You know what I mean? It, yeah, the character could easily have been any race you want, including a white yeah. person, a, yeah. a, a white person, uh, uh, you know, a um, a, a Protestant. Hey, white you know, person. you can say no, no. You know what? Or a Christian white person. Jewish people were not considered a part of the white race until after World War II. That is a fact. It was mm-hmm. considered a separate ethnicity, and then because of the Holocaust. Instead of saying, hey, racism is bad and we shouldn't judge people on races. Instead, what we said is, okay, Jewish people get to be white now as if they would be protected under that umbrella <laughs> instead. You know, so, but, you know. Yeah, so some uh, organizations down south that weren't quite so broad-minded. Yeah, know? exactly. So, um, anyways, but yeah, so I just want to say, okay. let's, let's move on from this. Okay. Because I think we beat few, it to death. A few more questions. Yeah. Um, well, we almost as we usually do. Uh, yeah. My questions are totally deflated by what we've gone over. Of um, there's a lot of amusing performances. Who steals the movie? Steals it? Right. I think it's Hugh Grant. Oh no, I don't think it's Hugh Grant. I think he's wonderful. I think steals the movie. I love co- it every time he's on. Every time he's on yeah. uh, on stage, he's great. He, he and, and and Richie has supplied him with the lines yeah. that any actor would absolutely absolutely love to to execute. I'm going to answer with two answers. Steals the movie, Colin Farrell, in my mind. Um, another, that, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Another actor. Every yeah. time he's on, I yeah. can't wait till he's back. Backbone of the movie, Charlie Hunan. Without Charlie Hunan's fantastic performance, it doesn't work. He is the hero of the movie. You're right. Without him and just McConaughey, it would it would seem a lot emptier. Yeah, he's yeah. the hero of the movie. He's the hero. It's yeah. Charlie Hunan. He yeah. is the one who exemplifies all the character traits of a hero, even though he's a kind of a psychotic murderer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, hit me on the next one. One, one last question, uh, because we've gone over sure. you know, um, yeah. some other ones. Who was the actress who was originally cast as Rosalind... That's Mickey's wife, okay. who, who has a terrific performance, by yeah, the way. Yeah, but we, we've been, Michelle maybe Donnery. we've been sexist because we've left her character out entirely of the discussion. So and I wanna, she is a f- subtly forceful uh, uh, character in this, in this movie. She seems like, they never explain it, but through her performance, she seems like a working class girl yeah. who struck it. She's got that Cockney accent. That Cockney really, accent. really, really heavy Cockney And also accent. she runs an automotive garage, which I can't imagine an upper class English aristocrat, especially, look, there might be, 
um, car automobile enthusiast female English aristocrats. And if there are, I apologize. <laughs> um, really, because I know a lot of rich men love cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's, and, you know, there, I, there probably are rich American women who also love cars because cars are huge in America. Um, but what an original concept. Yeah, right. To have the wife of the leading character yeah. running this right. high-end garage yeah. for high-end cars. But the point is, you know, she came from the lower classes and she's just as tough as Mickey. She's just as sharp as him. She's just as dangerous as him. And it shows later. Who originally played her? I have no idea. For about two weeks, Kate Beckinsale. Too old. No, maybe not too old. Not for Matthew McConaughey. No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. God, that was sexist too. Not a good day for me. Especially (laughs) She's probably younger than Matthew McConaughey. Especially after I just went on this big tangent about race and religion. Boy, not a good Uh, You know, what we said on this podcast can can destroy careers in Hollywood. Unfortunately, we're not in Hollywood. Well, look, you got to be able to recognize when you you mess up, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And and uh, so why needs they, to uh, no? To if anything, her. not as good an actress. Is that why they got rid of her? Was she not? No, because Kate Beckinsale. I don't think she's great. What? She is a real actress. Really? All you have to see her in is uh, in Cold Comfort Farm. Never seen. Which it. is wonderful. Oh, she also made The Golden Bowl. Never which seen was it. fantastic uh, adaptation. I just she keep thinking is of Pearl a real Harbor. actress. The okay. problem, oh okay. yeah, she gets in these horrible movies with yeah. like Adam Sandler and Click yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, Pearl yeah. Harbor. You wouldn't know. Okay. Also, because she's incredibly beautiful, you wouldn't know she's actually a real actress who probably would have done enormous things for her career if she had taken this this role. You've enlightened me. In, instead, it goes to uh, Michelle Dockery. So it was offered to her, and she didn't take it. She took. Uh, oh, she took it, and then and she happened? worked for two weeks on the film. What happened? Uh, apparently some family problems. Oh, okay. Family problems she had to pull out. Gotcha. And they had, in the back of their mind, they had Michelle Dockery in there. And she is, and she played Lady Mary in... Uh, yeah, it's quite a jump. In, what is that? Uh, uh, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. It's a great jump. Yeah, it is an enormous leap. And it just shows mm-hmm. how good an actress uh, Dockery is. She yeah. is fantastic in this movie. Should we do bad pitches? Uh, first off, my favorite line. Oh, and it's, sa- it's said by Michelle Dockery, who suspects that uh, things are going well with this deal mm-hmm. um, you know, with the Jeremy mm-hmm. Strong character, but she's very concerned after the, 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 the break into to Mickey's uh, stash. Yeah. She says, there's fuckery afoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is good. <laughs> I thought that was great. And the movie is, it has all these kinds of uh, feathers, all these kinds of terrific phrases. She also says... You know, watch out for this uh, upcoming battle because it, you know, there's going to be blood and feathers everywhere. I mean, I, this is great. Um, <laughs> to the credit of the movie, I was enjoying it so much that I didn't take any notes. I didn't want to have to pause and write down my favorite line. And also mm-hmm. in a movie that's full of good lines, they actually stand out less to me. Um, but that's, that's just to say there's a million good lines in the movie. So I don't, I don't have a, a best line. There, there's, it's full of them. Yeah, you exactly. Pick a, it, you won't go uh, more than 30 seconds without yeah. a really clever line. Rapid-fire dialogue movies, too, are also harder to pinpoint good lines when if it's something so methodical like The Godfather, the best mm-hmm. lines stand out immediately because there's not that much talking to begin with. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's kind of the hole you dig for yourself when you're Aaron Sorkin or anyone else, although Aaron Sorkin has been excellent at creating very wordy screenplays that also the best lines strike cultural chords, meaning that people, you know, uh, you can't handle the truth. By the way, not Aaron Sorkin's line, uh, Jack Nicholson. Is that right? He improv it. That, yeah. is the, that is the most famous line in that movie. Yeah, and he improv the line, which is great. But, wow. but nonetheless, Aaron Sorkin is effective at writing very wordy screenplays where one particular line does stand out. But for a guy, Richie, less so. 
All right, do you want to do bad pitches? I can't do bad pitches. I had a bad pitch and I forgot to write it down. Now I can't remember it. Oh, uh, the I had a good one. The too. trials and the tribulations of the old man. Yeah, yeah. Right, I'm, right. I'm lucky I found my cell phone. Well, I got mine. Um, mine is Snatch meets the Seventh Seal. Um, <laughs> and the reason I did what? that, yeah. So the reason I did that, is, I, I, I can't wait to hear this. Yeah, is you got Snatch right? <laughs> With, uh, you know, it's a Guy Ritchie film, and every movie and every Guy Ritchie movie in one way resembles another Guy Ritchie movie. And the seventh seal, because the movie is structured around the conversation, right? Just like in the seventh seal, structured around the uh, the the crusader and his conversation, his chess game with death, right? Mm-hmm. This movie's structured around a chess game, essentially, between Hugh Grant and Charlie Hunnam, where it keeps cutting back to that conversation. And what it really is is a chess game, and they're both trying to outmaneuver the other person. So that's why I came up with that. That's that's a good. I would not have thought of that. Yeah. Uh, it kills me that I can't remember my pitch, but I did come up with one. He'll, but George, the George one. Costanza syndrome. Oh <laughs> He'll be gosh. driving to work. Ah, I remember it now. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe give me a call and I'll try and edit it into this podcast. I'll see what uh, but, I can do. But, but if I do that, I get to impersonate you. I'm like, okay, I remember my first pitch now. I think I'm going to pass <laughs> on that then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should. All right. So let's do the next movie. Um, this was my choice. Not a barrel of laughs, uh, no. this movie. No, no, no. Not even a fun time, but I think a good movie. Um, and it was a movie made in Ireland. Its Irish name, which is a good name, is Calm with Horses. I'm told I was a violent child. I can hurt people. Most people know to stay on the right side of the Devers family. I'm what you meet if you ever find yourself on the wrong side. People say they're trouble, the Devers. I didn't get the joke, Lex. But I say all families have their problems. I don't want him to be around you. Because of the things that you do. Wise up, Arm. Wise up. Yeah, wise up. You were never like this before, you know that? Before them Devers got their hands in you. We heard about this fella. But we think it's time to finish the job. We have to do it. This is not loyalty. Please. It's servitude. And when we talk about the movie, we'll explain why it's called Calm with Horses. Its American name, which is a terrible name, <laughs> is called In the Shadow of Violence. Did I get that right? Actually, that is on my stat sheet. Yeah, I mean, I, I assumed it would be. <laughs> um, and before I summarize the movie, uh, Steve, why don't, you give us, why don't you give us the stats for Calm with Horses? Well, this movie was released in the U.S. on July 30th, 2020. Now, I don't know what that means. It means on right demand. In the, probably on Video on demand. That's probably Amazon what that Prime, is. Amazon Prime, yes. It runs an hour and 41 minutes. Fairly, fairly quick movie. It's rated R. It's directed by uh, Nick Rowland and written by Joe Murtaugh from a story by Colin Barrett. It's interesting, too. The director, I couldn't find out where he came from. I tried mm-hmm. to look it up, tried to find out... And the only place I saw said that he was from Connecticut. And I think, that can't be right. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe he was born in Connecticut, moved. People or... aren't from Connecticut. Yeah, but... He, but That's he, not a place people come British. from. No, have, you ever, have you ever met someone from Connecticut? <laughs> but but he, he works... He, he's worked most of his career, and it's been kind of a short career, but most of his career is, is Sorry, in I gotta, England. Sorry, I gotta say one thing. What? As much as I don't think people should be disparaged 
for where they're from or what religion they are, what sexual orientation they have, what race they are. I never met a person from Connecticut outside the state of Connecticut. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. Maybe they don't travel far. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but there's something <laughs> shady going on in Connecticut, and we need to get to the bottom of it. Absolutely. All right, Steve, go on. Um, this movie is also known by its Chase Interest Away title of The Shadow of Violence. Ugh. Yeah, that's one of those Ugh. crappy straight-to-video yeah. titles that people would stay away from. Needs Ray Liotta. Yeah, exactly. It grossed a total of $103,000 worldwide. Ooh, that's so that's rough. that is that is very rough. All right. So, I'm going to try and do my little summary of this movie. Here we go. It takes place in a very small deserted rural town of Ireland. The main character is a former boxer named Arm. He is a sweet, sensitive soul capable of great violence. He's almost a simpleton. And He's a retired boxer, and the reason he's a retired boxer is that he accidentally killed someone in the ring, and as a result, he retired. Um, and he ends up going to work for a family in this town called the Devers, and the Devers are a gang. That's what they are. They sell drugs. They are a gang, and they control the town. Um, the main character, Arm, he has a girlfriend, really an ex-girlfriend, who has that he has a son with. His son is autistic. And in the film, his ex-girlfriend wants to take their autistic son, I think, to a larger city, I think, in the south of Ireland, where she can get him in potentially to a school that deals with autistic children. And meanwhile, he's working as an enforcer for this Devers gang, and the uh, the sort of the prince of the Devers gang, the scion, is the nephew of the two head uncles who are the, the patriarchs of the gang, is kind of his best friend and his handler. Um, and what happens is one night, uh, there is some guy who likes to hang out with the gang and he's kind of a drunk and also a simpleton and he gets too drunk and high one night at one of the Devers parties and he crawls into bed with the 14 or 15 year old, uh, niece, one of the many family members of the Devers. And as a result that, and this guy's an old man and as a result, the Devers are furious. They just automatically assume he's a pedophile, which he might be. We do not know. And they task arm with killing him. It's an arms never had to kill anyone on behalf of the Devers before the first scene of the movie. He is just beating up this guy. He's first, he's supposed to beat him up, which he does without hesitation. He kind of says to him, you know, hey, you know, you know what I hear. I'm, I'm sorry I have to do this. And then he just beats him up. He doesn't, he has no emotional uh, stake in it. He doesn't even want to do it, but he does. But when they ask him to kill the guy, it's a bridge too far for this character arm. It, it, for him, it's a step over a ledge where he thinks he's been right on the ledge. And he doesn't kill the guy. And he basically tells him to get out of town. And then, of course, the guy is caught by one of the two uncles of the Devers clan, the two patriarchs, and they kill the guy, and then they want to kill Arm. I'm, I'm sorry that these are spoilers, but you sort of have to. It is the central conflict of the movie. Um, and they decide they need to kill Arm in, as a punishment for disobeying them. That is the basic plot of the movie. But obviously, it's not really what the movie's about. It's not what the themes are. Um, a good friend of mine, somebody I know, a guy, my friend Greg, who knows more about movies than anyone I've ever met, with the exception of, you know, you and I. He's like you and I, but he's just a movie nut. He was the guy that recommended this film to me. Is it, you know, a life-changing movie? No. But is it a really good little film? I think so. I think it's well-plotted, well-paced, extremely well-acted, um, and I enjoyed it. You know, for a movie, for the, for the movies of 2020 and 
the few of them I saw that came out this year, I thought this was a good one that people should see. I think it's well worth their time. What did you think of it, Steve? Well, it's interesting because it, it kind of contrasts nicely to The Gentleman yeah. in that they're both about gangster movies. It's grim. Uh, this movie does not have any of the pleasures no. of The Gentleman. Not a lot of fun. No, no, no. This movie it uses some really old, some would say ancient, some would say moldy <laughs> plot <laughs> devices. Fair. Um, uh, you know, uh, he, he left boxing, arm left boxing, yeah. because he killed a man in a ring. You yeah, know, sure, uh, that sure. goes back uh, John Wayne days. It's a okay. quiet man. It's, it goes back a long okay. way. Okay. Um, the ending is. Are we, are we giving a spoiler here? No, no. I'm, okay. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give a spoiler. But the ending is structured exactly the way old 1940s melodramas were. This movie proves that you can use convention, that the convention matters less than what you do with it. Absolutely. You of know? course, craft means everything. Yes. We keep telling the same story over and over and over. And There's the, an originality to this movie, yeah. and it, it, it's, it, it's plain. It's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of hard to describe the, the originality in, in that you feel like you're seeing something incredibly authentic. Yeah, it, despite the, the melodramatic touch. And it's poetic, too. And what it really is about is a character who wants to feel like he's loved. I mean, the reason that Arm works for the Devers clan, and he says it explicitly, is not because they pay him, but because he feels accepted by them. He feels a member of their family. And part of the reason he needs that so badly is that he's essentially been excluded from his own family by his ex-girlfriend. Um, and the reason that he's been excluded partly is because he works for the Devers and also partly because he's dangerous. Um, he doesn't mean to be dangerous, but it's just his nature. And in fact, there's a particularly suspenseful scene, really um, captivating scene where he meets his ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend, who's a really kind of kind person, the guy who he, he works with autistic kids and he's the one that gives her the idea to move down south to take her son to that school and when he meets the ex-boyfriend at a bar, because I think there's only one bar in this town for everyone to go to, this is a tiny Irish town, I kept thinking throughout the entire conversation, oh, he's going to kill him right now. And he doesn't, but the threat is there. I mean, the guy says, you know, uh, what do you do? And he goes, you know, I used to be a boxer. And he goes, why'd you quit? And he goes, I killed a guy, which I think is the first time you actually find out why he quit boxing. Yeah. Um, I think it's the only time they even mention it. No, they mention it again towards the end with the lady. That's right. Yeah. That's a, you're, you're absolutely right. But the point of the movie is this guy wants to feel like he's loved. That's the most important thing. And by the end of the movie, what I will say is, and it's not a spoiler, he gets love where he ought to have gotten it from the beginning. And it's really important that that is sort of the end of the movie. Um, he ends up getting that love where he should have been getting it all along, which I think is a more universal theme, right? Like, look for love from your family. Don't look for it from anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, you know, because uh, usually it has it has ties, as we find out. Yeah. Although it, it appears that they're really good friends. Yeah, uh, Arm and uh, this other character. I don't I remember his name. Uh, I, 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 Dipna. Di yeah, they call him Dipna. Dipna. And they, they make fun of that. Yeah, that I don't name. know what I don't know what it means. By the yeah. way, we have a connection here for a second oh. between the two movies. The character who plays Dipna is also the kid from uh, the Killing of a Sacred Deer with Colin Farrell. He's a good actor. He's that. He's a, he's the psychotic kid from Sa from Killing of a Sacred Deer that puts a curse on Colin Farrell's family. Um, he was also he also plays the kid from who who stows away on the ship 
in uh, the really boring World War II um, uh, Christopher Nolan movie. What's that movie called? Stows Away on a Ship? What's the What's the Christopher Nolan World War II movie with Tom Hardy? Oh, oh right. Um, what's that movie called? Oh, my gosh. Dunkirk. Dunkirk. He's the kid yes. from Dunkirk who stows away on Mark Rylance's ship. I remember him on this other movie. It's kind of a, a small movie that it's perfect for the show. It is is um, American Animals. He plays one of four American uh, uh, students, college students, who think they can um, steal a, a piece of art. I want to see that very, movie. very good. Is he in Mud? Is he one of the two boys in Mud? You know what? I think mud? he was. I think he's one of the two boys in Mud, and I think the other boy in Mud... Ended up going on to being that Steven, that terrible Steven Spielberg movie, um, Ready Player One, which by the way <laughs> also has Mark Rylance, which I think should be should be absolutely ranked as one of the worst worst five Steven Spielberg movies. You know, I, I don't see I, I don't see Mud as being right, on his. He was but in, I might be. He mistaken. was in something that I thought. All right, maybe it wasn't Mud, but he's a good actor and he's good in this movie. Yes, he is. He's a weasel. He, it's the cla- and he betrays my whole point. Yeah. I guess starting is that uh, although he he finds a connection through this kid into this family, yeah. the fact is um, this kid will betray him in a heartbeat. Yeah. If, if, if it is the classic the big sensitive dummy, young, smaller, more intelligent, less lacking in honor uh, dynamic. You know this kid the whole time. He's trying to get Arm to do what he wants, and he does it by saying to Arm, you're my brother. You know, I love you. I love you. You're my brother. Just do this thing. You know, I love you so much. But he doesn't at all. He'll sell Arm He'll he'll sell Arm out in just a second, which he ends up doing yeah. because his own position in his family's gang becomes threatened as a result of Arm's failure to kill this guy. Yeah. Uh, Arm is a, is, a, is a very interesting character. Yeah. Uh, he has... He's this gigantic guy, which I think the actor must have um, put on weight for, because I've seen a picture of this this actor, mm-hmm. and he's kind of thin. He he is very bulking, very mm-hmm. hulky. He has almost no resources to yeah. deal yeah. with with life. That, All, right. Almost none. So so pause right there. Let's do a question. Okay. All right. <laughs> it, it's so funny we keep sipping on each other's questions, which is. One of my, I only had three questions for you about this movie, and one of them was: Could Arm have ever led a normal, productive life? <laughs> Actually, yes. You think so? I, I do think he—he's not, uh, you know, mentally challenged, but he he's has close. He, he's, he's very like, close. He's, he's bordering on Forrest Gump. He's—he's he's very close. Um, yes, I think mm. Forrest Gump might be able to outwit him. I, yeah, <laughs> but he could be—he he could be a, a productive member of society. I, I think with well, like you said, without. If he didn't have that hole in his life that he's trying to fill, uh, also he he may never achieve the kind of discipline that allows him yeah. to uh, you know to be you know to be uh, an essential part of a family. He can't deal with his son, and it would be difficult for anybody to deal right. with with an autistic son. But he melts down as the kid melts so th- down. So this is the best scene of the movie. This is the most universal scene. I was talking to my friend, you know, for the most part, this is a plot-driven, gritty Irish gangster movie. I don't mean gangsters in terms of the 20s, just like a gang, like a modern-day gang. Um, but there's one scene in the movie where he gets to take his son for the day, and all he wants to do is have a, a normal father-son relationship with his autistic child, which is impossible because his son is autistic and he is not present enough in his son's life to know how to deal with that. And he takes his son to the fair, 
and his son starts having a breakdown and Arm doesn't know what to do and he's just shaking his son violently, telling him to be normal. Why can't you just be normal? And it's heartbreaking. This guy is just not equipped. Um, what he wants in life, he is not going to be able to have. And to answer my own question that I asked you, I say no. I say that people who have this sort of underlying explosive violent temperament coupled with a lack of intellectual resources as well as a behavioral just habits he has no no discipline he what's, has what's, no, the, what's the opposite of the word inhibition restrictions like his be, like he no can't, restraint he has yeah. no behavioral restraint he was never going to make it through society because mm. um, at some point he was going to violently lash out at somebody and he wasn't going to have the self-restraint that you need in life uh to not go to jail you know what I mean? I think we've all at some point in our lives have wanted to attack someone or hit someone who made us really mad, but we don't for a variety of reasons. You know what I mean? Well, let me, let me answer. Uh, you asked whether I thought he could be a productive member of society. Yeah. I, it depends on when like uh, a loving mentor intervenes. Like yeah. at this point yeah. in his life, it would have been very difficult. You're right. But Practically there, next, to, next to impossible. He gets it at some point. I'm not going to give anything away, but he tries to rob an old lady. I don't, I'm not going to give you the greater context of this. He tries to rob an old lady and the old lady eventually recognizes him, says, oh, you're that boxer, that boxing champion. He goes, and he goes, I remember what happened. I read the papers. And then she says to him, it wasn't your fault. You were, you were just kids. It wasn't your fault. And he needed to hear it. He probably never heard it before. He probably I suppose. never heard. I don't think anybody cared enough she, to straighten him, except maybe yeah. his girlfriend. She shows him. No, I don't think his girlfriend did show it to him, to be honest. Um, but she shows him such tenderness and kindness and understanding, even though he's trying to rob her. And you get the sense, like, this is what this guy needs. This is what he is seeking. And unfortunately, he has sought it from a family that will give him what he thinks he needs purely for their own motives and purposes. Um, yeah. Look, I think that in the year 2020, if you're going to see a movie, this is not a bad one to see. Right, it's not a waste of time. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, um, I, I think it, I think it's a I think it's a good movie. You yeah. know, despite its reliance on 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 melodrama, because the characters are so well drawn. He, he his girlfriend. Yeah, uh, she has a very uh, unsympathetic role because she's so angry with him all the time, and yeah. she comes off as being a harsh scold. But this actress softens that a yeah. great deal. Yeah. That ter- that that scene you mentioned. Uh, where he first meets um, the girlfriend's the boyfriend. new boyfriend. Yeah. They get along, but you can tell he feels uncomfortable and a little resentful. Then they go into a bar, and he sees them in a bar, and he looks at, at him the same way I think Al Pacino looked at, uh, in, in the movie Scarface, looked at a guy hitting on his sister. <laughs> and and you, you, you can practically hear the electronic music swell in yeah. his head. But he doesn't do it. She notices that. And the look she gives him, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Yeah, right. She's, that she's petrified. Was that, her, her reaction was yeah. fantastic. And and, and also, she, there's, she shows him more sensitivity in other parts because the reason this movie's name is really calm with horses is that the boyfriend of his ex-girlfriend it works with autistic children with animals. Um, and, you know, the autistic son gets to ride a horse and it makes the autistic son calm, hence calm with horses. But when Arm goes to visit his son riding the horse, the boyfriend, showing him great kindness, says to Arm, do you want to ride the horse? And really, Arm is also calm with horses, right? Arm gets up on the horse. He doesn't know what to do. And the ex-girlfriend's very encouraging to him. You know, get up on it. Do it. You know, she's not, get out of here. You know, it, it's... 
she she's encouraging to him as well. Um, yeah, the movie's populated by well-rounded, sensitive portrayals. I think the actors add a lot to what might not even be on the page. Um, yeah, and it's well done. And in fact, the main character, Arm, not an actor. He's actually an Armenian singer-songwriter. I say Armenian because really? I'm Armenian. So I'm, you know, every time one Armenian sees another, oh my God, one <laughs> of you. But yeah, I, I thought the act. I'm very surprised that yeah. this this kid was uh was not a uh, uh an actor because yeah. I was really impressed with it's, I think it's the strongest performance. Now you can tell his girlfriend, you can tell she seems so polished. Everyone really, else really everyone good. else in the movie is an actor. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. And and yet he he seemed the most authentic. Well, some of anyone. That is that All right, so there's a sweet spot when you can get someone who's acting for the first time where they haven't we're basically here's what it comes down to. They have to have natural talent for acting. If you get someone who's never acted before and has no natural talent for acting, it is going to be a disaster. But when you get someone who's never acted before but has a natural talent for it, sometimes the effect it can produce is a kind of authenticity that cannot be um, done by an actor who's too highly trained. Yes. They lose <laughs> that ability. Now, most of the time, I think um, untrained actors hide hide their their lack of training in subtlety and i don't like it i think the mark of a good actor is to be able to go for broke and to not have it come off cheesier overwrought you know uh but i think you know the really the best actors can do that they can give loud performances because they have all the tools at their disposal but very rarely you can find the sweet spot where you get a first-time actor who has a natural talent and they will give you something that seems different from all the other actors in the piece but seem good and he yeah. does it. And he does it. He's got it. I, I, th- I think you're right. One, one last point about this. Um, moral ethics don't really um, play a big role in the lead character because he just doesn't get moral ethics. He, like you he's said, not a deep he, thinker. He, he's not a th- deep thinker. When he's beating the hell out of the guy at the beginning of the movie, yeah. he doesn't seem terribly remorseful. No, not at and, all. And in fact, in the middle of the beating, he's, he sees this big screen TV on the wall. And he thought, oh, I think I'd like that. Yeah, he and just he takes it. it. And then he gives it to his son. He gives it to his son to get in on uh, in good yeah. with his with his ex-girlfriend. Which and about, his ex-girlfriend's wife is also uh, ex-girlfriend's mother, who's very hard on him. Which, by the way, is not even what they want. His instincts yes. are so poor. <laughs> yes. You know, they don't want a clearly stolen TV. They know it's stolen. They're not idiots. <laughs> you know, they know, like, he can't afford one of these things. It's a... Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he can't think that far ahead. No. He's no, like, no. oh, you know what? They might like this. Yeah, he's a simpleton. And, and he takes it, so there's, there's, no, there's no morality to him, but he does, there's not an absence of morality, yeah. but he doesn't have a problem doing the terrible things he does up to a point. The most important part of his character is he knows where the line in the sand mm. is, and he doesn't cross it. Also, he's not cruel. No, not even at when all. He's beating, yeah. Even when he's no. beating, he's a, it's, it's an act of cruelty. It's like he's working on the assembly line. Yeah. He's just looking at a pro. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's totally mechanical for him. But, you know, I remember when they're drawing out the scene in which he might kill the guy he's been tasked to kill, and I was so gripped, hoping so hard he would not kill him. I mean, it was so important to me in that moment that this guy doesn't kill this other guy, and he doesn't do it. He mm. knows, and that's why he's a hero, is because he, it's not because he's heroic, although it is a heroic thing he does, because by not killing the guy, he puts his own life at risk as well as his family's. But this isn't a, this isn't a uh, you know conventional 
comic book yeah, movie. This is a movie for right. adults, so yeah. he he lies about it right. and takes the credit and the money for it. That's right. This isn't a guy who's got, like you said, yeah, he's not going to be like, code. killing's wrong, and I'm yeah. going to go tell them. It's and just, now I'm going to bring them down. No, he, no, no. He, gives he the takes the credit life. for it. Yeah, he gives, he gives, the, well, he takes the credit not because he wants the credit, but because he wants to hide the crime. He's terrified they'll find out yes. he didn't kill the guy. He's very scared. Um, so that's why yeah, he, he, he understands the threat. That, that, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, but it's still, you know, it's really important. If he had killed that character, I don't think we would have been able to empathize with him anymore because the guy makes a very impassioned plea for his life, which I think would be pretty hard for any of us to ignore if we were supposed to kill him. I mean, I would never be in this position. Um, All right, I'll give you a question. Yeah, give me one. Does this movie end after an hour if he does kill the guy? Yeah, of course. Is the movie over? It has to be. You can't. Mm. Then, then you can't root for him Could anymore. Could they not make an even more interesting movie had he killed him and, and dealing with that fact? They could have, um, but it's Then really, it would have made uh, 50000 instead yeah, of 100000 yeah, And it would have been too grim. It would have been, sorry, such a grim movie. You need some mm. sort of light in this movie, right? You, you can't have your main character be just as grim and, a, and cynical and amoral as all the others. As, as harsh and grim as this movie appears... Yeah, um, it uh, it is assen- it is essentially a uh, inspirational movie. It really is. Yeah. So let me um, let me ask you some of my questions. Okay. Okay. Um, first one: Are there any police in this town? <laughs> it's a small town. I don't they, think they I, may have to ship a sheriff over from. I another don't think town. I saw a single cop in the movie. <laughs> it just seems to be a, a town that is completely. Um, completely devastated by crime, unchecked. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like Capitol Building security. <laughs> Where's the money coming in from all this crime? I, I don't understand how the town generates enough revenue. money to be looted from. How do they ge- how do they gener- <laughs> generate enough revenue to buy drugs? Unless the <laughs> unless the drug dealers are giving loans to buy more drugs. No, this, uh, there's a circular economy here that's not working. It seems like robbing Peter to pay Paul. They, they need to branch out to a lot of uh, several other small towns. All right. So we already said, could Arm have led a normal, productive life? Okay. Here's one. Is his life better off with? Sorry, is his family better off without him? Uh, is his ex tragically? Yes. Yeah, I think I think he would have just brought trouble upon them, which he actually mm. does. He puts them in an unsafe position by his own choices to become an enforcer for the Devers clan. He ends up putting his own family at risk. They even he, threaten him. They that's even the threaten point. They, to, they threaten uh, his family yeah. because that he disobeyed them. So absolutely, mm. his family's better off without him. Um, but he's not better off without his family. Absolutely true. Okay. Let's do pitches, okay? Okay. All right, see, why don't you do yours first? This movie is Rocky meets the professional with a little I am Sam sprinkled Fuck, in. Steve, I did Rocky too. <laughs> oh, damn, sorry. God damn it. Because at the beginning of the Rocky, he's actually, uh, he's still pra- he's still yeah. in the gym uh, practicing, yeah. but he's he's still a uh, thug for hire. And you know, at one point, I even- And a sweet guy. I even thought about doing Rocky meets I am Sam. Um, oh, really? <laughs> or Rocky meets Forrest Gump. But no, so mine was Rocky meets the Irishman. And the reason I said that is not because they're Irish. It's not mm-hmm. actually that basic. It's because Robert De Niro and the Irishman kind of plays this guy who works, you know, for the gangs, but doesn't really think too hard about what he's doing, right? He never mm-hmm. he never contemplates on the greater moral crimes of what he's doing. It's just my job. You know, just go, go, kill the guy, turn out to be the wrong guy. So, you know, what, what are they going to do? I made a mistake. Oh, well. It's very different from The Irishman. I think this movie is infinitely better than The oh, Irishman. Oh, yeah, no, so The Irishman's not a good movie. Uh-huh. All right, I got to say this now. If The Irishman was directed by anybody other than Martin Scorsese but was the exact same movie, nobody <laughs> would have liked it. It is 
Martin Scorsese has been getting away, getting by on his name for over a decade. The Departed is not a good movie. Uh, Gangs in New York is 35% a good movie. Uh, there's really one good part of that movie, and that's Daniel Day-Lewis. Everybody else is bad in that movie, especially Cameron Diaz. Uh, but, but Leonardo DiCaprio is not good in that movie. Hugo's not a good movie. Uh, God, I can't think of a single Martin Scorsese. You know, I would have to see Silence. Silence because I understand is a good it's a movie. masterpiece, you know what? and I, I you need know what? to see Silence. Silence should be a hidden gem. Silence yeah. is a good movie. I will give you that. Silence is a challenging film. I haven't seen it. I, I need to see it. You should. It's a challenging film, but it's good. But for And of course, that's the one Martin Scorsese movie nobody talks about. But the movies that he makes that aren't any good, people are like, well, you know, it's Martin Scorsese. It's got to be good. It would be like if Tarantino was actually making bad movies, which he's not. He's making good movies, but people were just liking them because they were Tarantino movies. It's really the same deal. Uh, there there are a couple of uh, Scorsese movies that I, that I didn't like. Uh, More that, than that, that, that one with DiCaprio. Uh, <laughs> that's all he ever makes is with DiCaprio. I think, I think DiCaprio helped ruin his career, by the way. I think that he chose... A very poor uh, imitation of Robert De Niro. Yeah, you know, not even an imitation. That's what I mean. Uh, He wanted his next Robert De Niro, and he chose the least talented actor to do that. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But virtually every movie he makes, other than Silence, grosses over a hundred million now, and that helps him perpetuate more success. That that one with um, that cockamamie tribute to Hitchcock, Shutter Island. Horrible movie. Horrible. All right, so let me say it now, so I can piss off whoever's listening to this podcast. Yes. Uh, Martin Scorsese is the most overrated, most overrated living American director. Maybe even including Steven Spielberg, because in some ways, even when Steven Spielberg is making sophomoric stuff like Jurassic Park, he's great at it. Right? Like Steven Spielberg is not Steven Spielberg's overrated stuff is his thoughtful stuff. His great stuff is his adventure stuff. You know what I mean? His stuff that's kind of for for children and their dads and their moms. And they're they're, they're so great. Yeah. That I I, I can't I can't call they're, Spielberg overrated. But yeah, Scorsese any any guy who can do um what he did with Taxi Driver I I can't. I think call. his great movies except for Goodfellas, Goodfellas are overrated. I think Taxi Driver is overrated. I think Raging is such an amazingly clever movie. I couldn't disagree more. Well we'll we'll do a whole <laughs> thing of that later. I think um Raging Bulls overrated. Yeah, I said it. It's been a long, well, you know, it's been a long time since I saw it. I saw it when I was 18 and didn't like it, and I, I, di- I disliked it so much that I didn't, didn't see it. I need to see it again. Martin Scorsese has something going for him, which is he made one of the most rewatchable movies of all time in movie history. Goodfellas with- is just, like, you can watch it for the rest of your life. It's always good. It's never bad. Goodfellas, Goodfellas is a masterpiece. I don't know any other way to say it. Um, I, I thought Color of Money was wildly underrated. One of the few movies that were underrated. They, they, they say he's just a hired hand, and that movie's fantastic. Well, anyways, I hope, Steve, uh, any other final thoughts on... Just uh, the last... Oh, we forgot to do lines. I don't know if you want to do this, but this movie is not... It wasn't written for its articulate, slick um, no, certainly not. dialogue like The Gentleman. Right. There's one line that keeps coming up, and, and, and that's, that is, that's not you. Right, right. His... his, um, his, his uh, Girlfriend says it, and I even think the lady near the end might yeah. say it. That's not you. Yeah. Um, it, it's poignant in its simplicity like this movie is. Yeah, and I think mine is the the fight in the bar where he goes, uh, I killed a guy. You know, he goes, why'd you retire? And he goes, I killed a guy. I think that's the, for me, that's, you know, it's not a quotable line. Nothing in this movie is that quotable, mm-hmm. but it's the most 
it is the part of the movie where I tense up the most mm-hmm. because I really don't want him to do something self-destructive and explode in violence. But that one line, like you said, gives that air, that threatening air. Uh, it's just, it's just really effective. Um, so yeah, Steve, any other, uh, any other thoughts? I think we went on a little bit of a Martin Scorsese tangent there, completely unrelated <laughs> to anything we else. We went on a couple of tangents. Forgive us for the tangent. All of the, um, all, all of our views on race. Just uh, tell us how much you hate us. And, well, uh, not our views. I mean, really, we're <laughs> commenting on the movie. We're, yeah, yeah. It, but our interpretation of the uh, race, which is enough to get you uh, well, we destroyed both, nowadays. We both, well, I think we both agreed that the performance was anti-Semitic. Possibly the character. I mean, the character was. I think the character was anti-Semitic. I think it was an anti-Semitic character and an anti-Semitic performance. Also, Mm -hmm. maybe a homophobic performance because he's definitely playing it as gay too. Unless he thinks all Jewish people are gay. I didn't really. I didn't get that. I honestly did not. Maybe he just thinks all Jewish people are effeminate. I don't know. Um, Which is another kind of yeah, another stereotype. He he wasn't. Every other character yeah. is forceful, st- strong, and and you know yeah. physically re- yeah. resourceful as well. Not him. And maybe we maybe we did disagree on the fact that I said you can't have a movie where a straight white male is fending off all the different hordes of minorities, you know, coming for his booty. I I just don't think you can do that anymore. Um, Nor you should you necessarily. I don't know. Uh. You know, I, I, I got I to gotta say, I, I don't want to, I, I hate knuckling to the woke crowd, but there is something to what you said. Yeah, I mean, you can't make a Definitely movie is. where the Crusaders locked in Jerusalem, and not only do the Saracens uh, come to to take the city, but also the Chinese, the Africans, you know, you, you can't have the whole world come after this. It just doesn't work. You know, it's got to be, just choose one. You can't make it everyone. Let's hope that um, when he, as he was writing and casting it, he wasn't thinking in terms of race. I don't think he but was. But it's kind of hard to get away from it when he uses terms like Chinaman. You know? Yeah, that's true. God, it's hard <laughs> to get away from that. I don't want to apologize. It's, it's like I don't want to apologize for the guy, but I also don't want to attribute malice. I just think a lot of it's ignorance. Hmm. What do you think? I think he's. I, I think he. I hate to use the word ignorance because he's probably researched this intensely. He probably yeah. researched the London crime scene intensely. So who yeah. am I to say it's it's ignorance? But um, I, a little artistic sensitivity is not the same as censorship, and he maybe should have uh, flexed it more. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, Steve, this was a good one, man. It was good talking to you. Awesome. See you next time.